I think that what happens to people is it's not about saying, oh, how do you know? It is actually giving yourself the space to dial into the fact that your, your, your instincts is going to say, okay, let's go. And being open to hearing that and having the courage to act on it. My name is Kyle Willis, and this is Marketing from the Roosevelt Room. Well, hey, welcome back to a new episode of Marketing from the Roosevelt Room. I'm really excited today to welcome our guest on the show is a friend, a mentor, uh, a true expert on what it means to be an entrepreneur. I have known Dorothy Liu for, Dorothy, is it almost seven years now? I think we're at. I think it's 2012. It's, it's been that deal. You know, the depth of relationship oh, wow. makes time go. So I had the privilege of meeting Dorothy back in 2012. She comes from a prestigious career with top roles at uh, Apple and Microsoft and started uh, her own consulting agency. That's where I had the privilege of meeting her uh, when I was working at an ad agency. And she became not just a consultant to help where I was running a, a big event. She brought in her expertise to really make this big event a success. Then she became this mentor in my life to really help drive this entrepreneurial spirit I had, but was quite wild. And she brought some real reins to say, all right, Kyle, who are you as an entrepreneur? What does this pathway look like for you? And how can I set you on the right track to make sure you don't crash? So Dorothy, it is a real honor and privilege to have you here with me today. Well, thanks. That was quite an introduction. I don't think I've ever had one like that. I feel awesome now. (laughs) When I've had this amount of time to really grow and learn from you, it's pretty easy to brag about who you are in my life. Like I said, the student has now become the teacher. (laughs) Well, Dorothy, what what I'm really excited for us to dig in today, as I alluded to a moment ago, I think you have an incredible gift. It's not just expertise. I think it's a gift you have of recognizing what that journey of of entrepreneurship looks like. And I want to dig into that a little bit. You know, we've titled our conversation, Making a Courageous Choice. And I think we'll get into a bit more of what goes into um, making that choice to become an entrepreneur. But I'd love to just start kind of a big picture, the, 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 the overall question of what goes into the DNA of an entrepreneur. You know, I think... I when I hear the stats of uh, most, uh, at least 50% of uh, small businesses fail within the first four years of starting out. And so you can tell me if I'm off here, but I believe that not everyone's meant to be an entrepreneur. It's something that you either are born with or that you can develop a skill into. And it's, it's not meant for everyone. And so what I'd love to know to, to begin with is just what goes into the DNA of an entrepreneur? Is that something you are born with? Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, or is that something that needs to be developed over time? That's a broad question. It is. Uh, Let's start big picture and then we'll, we'll, so we'll start, drill down. Well, how about if I, I, let me start by sort of giving you context from probably this, the case study I know best, which is me. On one level, I would say entrepreneurship can be learned. 
um, because I think that there are the people who sort of do, you know, there's sort of the, the crazy town people, like they'll do anything, they'll try it. They don't, they, you know, they're the people who jump out of airplanes. Yeah. Right. And then there are the sort of people who are very, very detail oriented and will take a very measured risk. But I think what it actually introduces is, is an idea of what reasonable risk looks like. Yeah. So if I, you know, so I'm going to use myself as an example, I would say for the first half of my career, I did everything right according to script. You know, I am the child of immigrants. I have two Ivy League degrees. I have an MBA. I work for, you know, all the blue chip companies, um, you know, HP, Apple, um, Microsoft for a lot of t- a lot of years. The The strange thing is, despite what someone would say is a textbook strong resume, I don't think I really found fulfillment and um, satisfaction until I did everything backwards. Wow. And, you know, and I can trace that back to 20 years ago. And, and, um, and what I've since learned in that time, so I started my own consulting firm, um, brought on some partners, we did that for 18 years. And then about a year and a half ago, I struck out on my own again. Yeah. Um, So what I, what I think really, um, flipped the switch for me, because I would not have said that I was a huge, huge risk taker. I think came down to two things. One is that um, there are always bright and shiny things to look at, right? And and sort of the the what I call the shotgun people who are just they'll try anything. Yeah, they love the bright and shiny, and that and that is what they're passionate about. Like they're always thinking about the next big thing, and that is one very specific personality. Um, I'm sort of the other, which is I really really believe in an understanding of foundational principles. Mm. In my case, my subject matter expertise tends to be toward marketing, which is how yeah. you and I sort of connect. Yeah. So if you remember, like we did chalk talks around like what positioning and messaging is and, and having sort of a discipline and, um, and a highly replicable um, approach to doing the fundamentals, for me, freed me to make some courageous or or reasonable risk-oriented decisions yeah. and get really creative. Um, so I think that that sort of gives you the spectrum of there are the people who are just going to try a billion things, and if they hit one, they're super excited, and they'll do that, and they'll move on to the next. I am a little bit more measured. So is it my part of my DNA to be an entrepreneur? Not sure. It's what sure. I answer is, uh, is that it there is a context for um what understanding what conditions need to exist for you in order to take a risk yeah reasonable to you and i think that ultimately for that it's connected to two things one is your own values a sense of timing and i had a i had a manager actually when i was at microsoft who said you know i was trying to decide whether i should leave and she said you've got to believe that you're running to something better than running from something that doesn't feel right. Yeah. And, um, and I said, okay, I get that. But it was really when I sat there one day and realized that I didn't identify with where I was working anymore. Mm-hmm. And I wanted something different. That's huge. Yeah, it was huge because as wonderful as my experience at that employer was, it wasn't me anymore. 
and having that be sort of the the north star for what my next move was i quit yeah and that's when i started doing everything backwards i love to first off thank you that's very very personal i think very interesting in that aspect of taking it backwards and imagine a lot of people are in that place questioning do i love what i'm doing is there something better i should be chasing and i'd love to know imagine that decision wasn't easy for you wasn't fast for you and as you said you know you just made another change a year ago and so I'd love to know what that process was and what were the questions you asked yourself to look at your values and look at the right time. Two questions in there, maybe take one at a time there. But how do you, how does someone know what my values are uh, and is my current job fulfilling them um, or should I be looking at something else? And then the follow up to that, how does someone know when the right time to move on is? So let me make sure I understand. So one is identify, how do you identify those values that matter? Yeah. And then when do you act on, or yeah. what, what, what actually catalyzes you to make a change if you need to? Yeah. yeah. What, what I pulled out from what you said was there's two main things that really changed that DNA from you of incredible roles at top companies saying it's not enough. Something needs to change in me. I've not satiated this desire for more. And you said it was values and time. And I imagine, I know I felt that way when I was at other ad agencies and Microsoft and saying there's something more. So that, that what you just spoke so resonates with me and I imagine resonates with others who either have not taken that risk yet or say, yep, I'm that entrepreneur who felt that same place. Mm-hmm. So for those that are in that valley of decision right now, uh, first off with values what are some questions what's that process you recommend someone to start that journey of will this position fulfill my values or is there something else i should be pursuing um so you know we hadn't really we hadn't really talked about this so one of the things that i i now do is i've added coaching to my consulting um, yeah. my consulting services and um and it's a very different it's a very different interaction, but I think that what I learned, you know, as I've been coached um, to really, you know, it's, it is not a comfortable thing to look at your values because one is nobody has ever, nobody asks, you know, how how much, how often do you ask yourself like, Oh, you know, what's important to me? Yeah. we're all so busy doing, but setting aside that time to, um, to do two things. One is like, you know, what is important to me? Is it, you know, family? Is it security? Is it financial security? Is it calm? Is it excitement? You know, those, those words have a lot of weight on how we enter each day. Um, and I find that, you know, when people are dissatisfied with whatever they're doing every day, it's usually because they've moved away from the things that are truly important to them. Yeah. So like, you know, so what I learned from my own coach is to sort of be braver about looking at whether I'm making choices that honor those values and where I, and where I'm spending my time. Yeah. Do they appreciate them? And that is usually, from what I can see the first place, like, wow, you know, I don't believe in the same things that X does. 
I need to move away from that. Yeah. And, and then there are all these other things like, Oh, you know, but I need a job and I need security. And, and, and there's just going through that process um, with someone who can guide you or give you that sort of hand on the back. So you feel supported has been a really big, um, big shift for me that it was okay to not have to figure it out by myself. Yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly the role you played in my life when I started at Microsoft. And while it was an awesome career, a beautiful paycheck, it did not align with my values and it Mm -hmm. did not align with where I felt I wanted to pursue what mattered most to me. And that while the money was great and the company was great as well, it just wasn't the right alignment with where I was at. And you were monumental in being able to say, Kyle, you got to be willing to take that risk and step out if this is an alignment to who you are. And I remember us having those conversations because, because I think that where it started was, you know, cash flow, right? Like we're all, it's like, whoa, you know, these people are going to, you know, pay me to use my, you know, for my brain, to rent my brain for a while. Yeah. um, it's kind of a heady experience to know that there is like a dollar value to your, to your, to your mind. Sure. You know, like I remember when I first started consulting, I'm like, this is so weird. They're paying, you know, they're paying me to like, think about stuff. Um, but, you know, I think learning to say like, it's okay to do something that isn't just about a paycheck. Mm. That's good. You know, that, that, sort of takes a lot of courage, especially, you know, we live in such an achievement driven culture, right? Thing driven culture. And, um, you know, think about how the industry sort of works. It's like, okay, even our phones are designed to be upgraded every (laughs) time. (laughs) Got to fork over another, you know, $700 for your, it's, it's a very, it's, it's a very, um, it's a very hard treadmill to jump off of. Sure. Um, but you know, that kind of leads back, leads to the other point you raised about time and, um, and I think giving ourselves time and space doesn't mean like go away and like, you know, doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to some retreat for six months and, and sit on a mountain and think about things, but just slowing down and letting the world sort of happen around you can reveal a ton of information about when the time is right because if you are driving all the time you never ever give yourself a chance to feel whether right now is the time yeah Yeah. and with that timing you brought up another phrase that i'd love to hear of you expand on about reasonable risk Mm -hmm. and i'm at you know when i think of that my first thought is my financial advisor telling me you know what level of risk are you willing to take Mm -hmm. in your investments and i think I won't try to jump the gun here, but I think about that in my own life about, you know, what level of risk am I willing to take in my career and my family and my possessions and in anything aspect, I'd love you to have you expand on what you mean by reasonable risk, especially as it comes to making that courageous choice. Should I step out to be an entrepreneur or not? But I, well, so the answer to that is what is reasonable risk to you? Yeah. Right. And, and, um, and like one of the, one of the more little, one of the more powerful, um, words I've, I've really like embraced in the last six months is yet. So it's, the I can't do that 
yet. I can't take a vacation yet. If you say, I can't take a vacation, that's very finite. Yet changes everything. And Hmm. so if you could add the word yet to anything you think you can't do, what possibilities open up with that shift in mindset? That's good. So then time is not, I don't have time. It'll be the time is coming or when, when the time comes, then, then, you know, it just kind of, it creates some expansion of possibility that didn't exist, you know, even two minutes ago. Sure. Sure. So I think that, you know, going, you know, if you go back to like, there's the whole slate of values, like what's important to you and figuring out what the Delta is between how, where you're living them and, and where they should be and trying to figure out how you move closer to honoring those, whatever those values are every day, like in the moment. Right. And then if you're not, then you say, okay, I can't do that yet then that actually gives you some possibility of putting time against something. Yeah. Then now you're running to something rather than running from something. Mm. That's good. And then, and then I think that what happens to people is it's not about saying, Oh, how do you know? It is actually giving yourself the space to dial into the fact that your, your, your instincts is going to say, okay, let's go. Yeah. And being open to hearing that and having the courage to act on it. So in that, uh, what you said there about, you know, giving yourself space, what would you recommend someone who wants to take that risk, ready to, to make that courageous choice and give themselves some space, but also make sure that there's, there's boundaries, there's, there's room to test things out, but also the, the fear of falling on my face. How do you battle that, that uh, dichotomy, that, that dilemma of, I want to be courageous and run gung-ho, and I can't afford to fall on my face right, right off the bat? So the, that sort of begs the question of what conditions need to exist. Sure. Right? So, so like when I quit my corporate job, you know, would I realize that I, you know, I stress out about a paycheck. Yeah. And I, I just do. And, 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 you know, there are three kids in my family and we all think differently about money. I need a paycheck. So I actually set it up in my bank account to, you know, I, I saved enough money for a year, put it in a bank account. It probably could grow in other ways. Okay. True. But I just said, you know what, but it's worth it to me just to know that that money was sitting there. And I actually paid myself a paycheck by doing an auto transfer in my bank Mm. account, just like when I had a corporate job. I like that. That's something that I needed. Yeah. You know, I also know that I needed structure. So I, this sounds a little silly. (laughs) I went out, I trained for a marathon for like the six months after I quit. Wow. Um, You know, but that's what I needed. Yeah. And somebody else may need, you know, something else. But this goes back to, you know, what I said about values. Like, okay, I needed, I need to feel financial stability. So I waited and saved enough money to take my time off. Yeah. And structured my cash flow in a way that felt like corporate America, even though it sort of wasn't. Sure. 
and I gave myself, um, I gave myself some structure just for one thing. The other thing I did was I stripped out everything else from my ha- my life, hmm. simplified it. So if I did one productive thing in a day, it was a good day. Yeah. Because yeah. my idea of a productive day was so crazy at that point that I really didn't even know what was important anymore. And I basically stripped everything out and built it right back up, you know, one thing at a time every day. Um, you know, that's what worked for me. And that's what created reasonable risk for me. And I realized after nine months, I needed a job because I was going crazy. <laughs> and then, you know, and then the consulting thing started. Um, so, you know, so I guess, you know, I guess what I'm trying to communicate is that for everyone, it's going to be different. Sure. But thinking through what, what conditions need to exist for you so you can wake up every day feeling like you can honor your values, you know what you're going to do that day, even if it's just one thing. But you have, you can, you can break your purpose down to the next 10 minutes, the next 10 days, the next 10 weeks, break that down, but, but create those conditions that make you feel safe and secure. And then you, and it frees you. And it goes back to the whole idea of like, what are the foundational needs you need, you, you have to have in order to free yourself to take that, that courageous leap, whatever that is. I love that because you made it very practical of being able to say, when I sit down and I ask myself, what are these greatest fears I have? What what are the things that would hold me back from being able to take that step? All right, before I'm willing to take that risk then and take that leap, map out what will solve that fear. I'm going to miss my paycheck, then great. I'm going to pay myself. Uh, I need structure, then great. I'm going to set up structure. Uh, I, I need coaching. Okay, I'm going to find a coach. And you, you, you said, all right, I'm going to, whatever my fears are, I'm going to have a solution for them before I'm willing to take that risk. I love to know, as you spend a lot of time now working with people that are in this very place of, when do I step out of the corporate world? Is my business in a healthy place as an entrepreneur? What are some of the common questions, fears that you run into in the conversations that you have with these people that you'd say, this, this regularly comes up and this is something I've learned in the people I'm working with? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think for entrepreneurs, someone who's starting out, I'd say... I'm, you know, I'll, I'll I'll admit to being frugal to the point of being stingy. (laughs) um, I'd say the one, I'd say the number one practical thing I, I've personally learned, I've heard from other people who've struck it on their own is keep your investment as small as possible. Like just be really, really, really um, stingy about how you spend money, how you spend cash. Like you don't, you know, if you don't have to have rent, don't take on rent. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I think that the first time we went out of the gate, I had two partners and after a year we're like, oh my gosh, we pretty much made every single mistake you could make. <laughs> we're paying rent that we, for office space we never used where, I mean, it, you name it, we were doing it. Um, so, you know, for me, it run as leanly as possible. Yeah. Um, we're, we're so fortunate in this current, in the state of the way business works now that you can do so much virtually or through co-working. Those things didn't exist 20 years ago. Mm, true. 
So you can do a ton with a website and a business card and a Zoom account. Yeah. And a co-working. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I run I ran my last company like that for, you know, 18 years. Wow. Three of us never had office space. Because for us as a consulting firm, if there's office space and you're paying rent, that means your consultants aren't working. Sure. So um, so that's I think that was probably the first the first thing that's just super practical, like just, just be very run as lean as you can. Um, counter to that, the one thing you should spend money on is a great bookkeeper. <laughs> Amen to that. It's the first thing I outsourced. <laughs> it's the first thing I outsourced too, um, in this, this time. And, um, and I, like okay, we have made every mistake. It, you know, I look back on, on ventures I've had in the past and, I can't believe we survived as long as we did making some of the decisions. Mm. You can survive a long time making a lot of mistakes. Yeah. You will not necessarily thrive as much as you could if you don't do some really basic things. And it goes back to that, you know, what is the foundation of how you operate? Because it frees you to be creative when you're yeah. Yeah. a bookkeeper, being frugal and, um, and being flexible are probably the most important things. Um, the, the other thing that um, is the hardest, I think, for entrepreneurs to realize is that you are worth every penny. And that's good. Um, and that belief is, I think, that is the, that is the, X factor for a lot of entrepreneurs and particularly those who are of us who are in service oriented businesses. Um, a lot of my energy and I, and I, and I think value add in the end with working for, with um, a lot of my, my consultants was the ability to negotiate what I believe my people were worth yeah. in the market. Yeah. And, um, and I think as a woman business owner, um, it's something I see over and over again, where we don't really know what we're worth. And mm. you know, I'm sure I could open up a huge can of worms saying, I wonder if it's a gender thing. Um, sure. But, you know, there is the, the it's a real issue though. It is. And, and I, you know, I think that one, you know, one thing that I've learned is that, you know, I was always okay with asking for more. Good. I can always, you can always drop your price, but it's very hard to raise your price. Yeah. But I think that until I went out in the open market and realized that there was a direct relationship to the value I was providing and the price I was charging for, um, it really gave me a lot of courage to do that on the behalf of other people. Yeah. And, um, and I think that through that process for me personally, um, evolved a a real passion around helping people realize that there were a lot of ways to make a living that were that would satisfy your a, a person's need to be intellectually challenged professionally yeah. appreciated and have a life outside of work yeah and um and so you know why you know why shouldn't you get paid what you're worth and have it all. And I think for women in particular, you know, learning that having it all being compensated fairly for it 
um, is not the same as trying to be it all That's good. for everybody. Yeah. And, um, and so that to me now is what I, what drives what I do every day. Um, but you know, knowing your value and not being afraid to charge for it. Yeah. That's, I remember talking to someone a while ago about, what we charge a note of the quo is we used to do hourly and then have monthly retainers. And he was really challenging me on Kyle, you got to charge according to the value of the problem you solve. Yeah. And that if, the, if you're that. charging a flat fee, but the problem over here is worth $1,000, the problem over here is worth $10,000. You're making the same amount either or, Sure, this person at the ten thousand knows are getting a killer deal, or the person over here at one thousand feels like they're getting ripped off. And that aspect of being able to recognize what problems am I most gifted at solving, and what are they worth to you being willing to get them solved? And therefore, great, I will charge based upon value present in solving that problem for you, whether it's more business or in your situation as a, as a coach and consultant, being able to help people get unstuck. That's a huge, you know, that may not be a visible dollar sign to that, but a very clear mental, physical, uh, aspirational value that results in dollars. Yes. And I think that it's, you know, I had a mentor many, many years ago who said, you know, do what you love and the money will follow. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But but I don't think I really truly believed it until I went out on my own. Hmm. And um, and so, you know, now it's like as I work with, you know, my consulting clients, you know, I, you know, I, it's, a, it's a space that I'm super familiar with. And, you know, I've done it for a long time. Um, but, you know, with my coaching clients, they, you know, it is so exciting to me when I listen to them talk about something far bigger than when they walked in Yeah, as they see what's possible. And, and then they surprise themselves like, Oh wow. I didn't realize that I was actually worth that much. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm willing to give up, you know, this paycheck or, owning my own business so I can spend more time with my family. Yeah. Like that is, that is amazing to me on so many levels. And it's not because I'm like, Oh, I solved a problem for them, but it's just creating that space. Oh, they, yeah. they can take that, that, you know, make that courageous choice. And, you know, they see all the risks associated with it are actually quite reasonable. Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember when, back to the Microsoft story when I was there, that fear of, do I want to give up this nice six figure paycheck? Mm-hmm. And I was just started a real serious relationship that now is my wife and sitting down with you being like, Dorothy, I want to make this buck for my girl. And you're like, Kyle, you got to believe that the money will follow where your, where your heart is. And it was, that was that courageous choice of me that I had to make. Am I willing to do what I love because right now I'm just doing what's paying the bills. Yeah. And thankfully, thanks to your push and encouragement in that the money's followed what I'm doing and what I love now. And it's, it's actually surpassed what uh, the Microsoft. Oh, I mean, you've part. done, you've made some, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, like the things that you tell me now, like I, like the things that I love 
when I listen to you are like, one is, you know, I'm very fascinated by the idea in the corporate world now is that there's, you know, sort of your, there's your persona, like our persona that we show up at, you know, show up with at work. Like I got to put on my game face and then you have your person who's who you are. I'm like trying to be those two things, yeah. two different things is exhausting. Right. So what if you could be your person instead of your person? Yeah. Yeah. You are, you are who you are all the time. Thank you. That is way more, you know, way more <laughs> satisfying. Right. And, um, and a lot less exhausting. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, why can't we just be the same person all the time? And, you know, and I think that is, that, that is a, that's, that would be for me, that's like the goal, like find, find where you should be. And, you know, and I think what happens then is like, you know, I always talk to, you know, any, whether someone's looking for a job or like, I'm trying to like find clients or whatever it is, like, I want to be a magnet. I don't want to be a chaser. I want to attract the right people to me because they get why they want to work with me. And I know why I'm good for that. You taught me a word and I I don't want to steal your thunder here. So I'll set you up for it. that I think relates exactly to what you're saying. And it's the opposite of paranoia. Right. Would you, would you share that with us? Because I think it is mind changing for our perception of how we are to operate and view the world. Um, so the word, you, I think you're, you know that I pick a word every year. So last year, my word was joyful. Yeah. I was just really going to go into everything, like every day, every interaction with joy and, and, it really kind of lifted me in my day-to-day interaction. This year, the word became pronoia, which I, um, I stole. I shouldn't say I stole, but I adopted from my own coach, David. <laughs> um, but pronoia is the opposite of paranoia, where if you believe that paranoia is how the world, that the world is conspiring against you, pronoia is the belief that the world is conspiring in your favor. So if something really horrible has happened, it actually creates space for something that will benefit you. And so by going in with that perspective, it really shifts the way you appreciate the hard things that happen. Yeah. That is my... I love that. Thank you for teaching me that. <laughs> when you shared that word, you're like, oh, great word, right? I want to put that on my wall. That's a good one. It's a great word. <laughs> I know. I love it. I used to, I used to put it on my whiteboard in my first job after college. I would put it on the white, on the whiteboard every day. I'd put a new word. Yeah. Um, well, just, this is going know, on mine. That's solid. Back when we had paper dictionaries, I would just <laughs> word and throw it up there. So Dorothy, one last question for you is I think we've, we've talked a lot today that was you know i feel like you've you've always been a coach to me i've certainly you started off as a consultant and in some ways you work almost like a therapist but i know you're not in that you speak to my heart and that you you speak to my 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 mind and my position i know you you treat each of those words very sacred very protected i'd love to have you just define the difference between a coach a consultant and a therapist and if and when someone should have one or the other or all of the above so um i'll start with 
consulting because that one's pretty simple. People hire you to like solve a problem. You know, I need a campaign. I need a strategy. I need this. There's actually like a tangible work product that comes out of it. And you are hired. Um, And on the other end, you have therapists and, and coaches and, um, and I, I, I think it explains to I'm very, I try to be very careful about honoring and respecting what therapists do. And we yeah. are, coaches are definitely not therapists. Okay. Um, although there are therapists who coach. Got it. Um, Got it. And, I, and I think the, one of the simpler ways to think about it is that, you know, I think about a therapist, well, one, they, they have all sorts of clinical um, knowledge and competencies that we don't even begin to touch as coaches. Um, but they are really, you know, there to help heal and unpack and understand and give a path forward. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, sort of like past, you know, present and maybe some future. Coaches are pretty focused on present and future. Got it. Like what's it's going good. on with you right now and where do you want to take this? Um, and so, you know, for my, for my clients who, for my coaching clients who work with a therapist, um, you know, I, tr- you know, one is that I absolutely respect that relationship, but if there's a way that I can support the work they're doing through therapy with coaching, um, you know, we try to design that into the relationship. Cool. cool. Um, and so, you know, for some of my clients who have that, you know, have that sort of triad of relationship, you know, it can accelerate some of the work they're doing with their therapist because yeah. it's just sort of giving them the daily or the weekly or whatever accountability. Got it. With what they're, whatever they're working on. Um, so I think that's, you know, I think it's really, it's in a really important distinction to make. And I think, you know, for coaches as a profession, it's, it's an ethical boundary that we're very serious about. Absolutely. About honoring. That's good. I like that. I like that. And tell me then just as you know, that, Last, last question, really. <laughs> For someone who finds himself in that place of, I'm, I want to make that courageous choice, but I want to have that coach mentor be able to help me and know what that, that path looks like. You know, you've spoken about how you've had someone guide you through that situation. I know that's something that you offer as well. How can someone just start a conversation with you, find out a little bit more what you have to offer and see if it's a good fit to have you be that guide to them? Um, so I, I think the best way to, um, explore coaching is to try it. Like most coaches, myself included, will sit down with, you know, with some, you know, someone for a half hour and actually just work on something, you know, work on a question or something they're, you know, they're curious about. Yeah. And, um, and you'll, you'll, you know, have a sense of one, you know, whether this is a coach, well, one, what coaching is and whether it's something that will serve you. And then two, whether that coach in particular is right for you. Not all, it's not a one size fits all. Sure. I can tell from, you know, like from the work that I've done over the last year and a half, um, working with a coach and then becoming, and then really, you know, immersing myself in, in developing the skills for myself as a coaching professional. Um, I look back on decisions I made and that dis that dissonance I felt for a long time, and you know I wonder had I had a coach ten mm. or ten years ago, yeah. would I have made different choices? I don't know. Yeah, I and mean, I like where I am now. Valid question. No. So, um, but you know, it's I think that understanding that value is really best 
served with experience. So Got it. I mean, you'll have my information. So if anyone who's listening to you wants to try yeah, it. Yeah, I'll put, we'll have your contact information on our website, mfrrpodcast.com, marketing from the Roosevelt Room podcast.com, as well as our Facebook group. And so those who are interested in connect with Dorothy there. Dorothy, it's been an absolute honor and privilege to connect with you. Thank you for your time, insight, and wisdom with us today. Thanks for having me. That was fun. Hey, I want to thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Marketing from the Roosevelt Room. I know you have a lot of options on what podcasts you can listen to, so thank you sincerely for taking the time to join us for this one. If you have enjoyed this conversation, we'd love to keep it going in our Facebook group, Marketing from the Roosevelt Room with Kyle Willis. In that, we have live video, Q&A, and create more of a dialogue. We'd love to keep the conversation going, so please join us on Facebook. Otherwise, look forward to catching you on our next episode. Have a great day.